Sandbox fans, and welcome into episode 135, season 4, episode 16 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, let's jump into this four-game flight. The Canucks hosted the Colorado Avalanche and got trounced 4-1 the lone goal scorer for Vancouver was Elias Pettersson, assist- assisted by Andre Kuzmenko and Brock Besser. Canucks fell to the Oilers after that. 4-2, never really got caught up after being down 2-0 in the first. Quinn Hughes had a solid game with a couple of helpers, Kuzmenko and Miller with a goal each as well. The Rick Tockett era began for Vancouver as they hosted the Chicago Blackhawks, and they came away with a 5-2 victory. Kuzmenko had two goals, while Elias Pettersson and Luke Shen each had two assists. And the Tockett era came down to earth shortly after that as the Canucks go down to Seattle for a little one-game trip and lose 6-1. The Kraken finally beat the Canucks to improve to 1-6 by a 6-1 win. Connor Garland was credited with the only goal in what was overall a pretty ugly affair and one of the team's worst outings of the year. Doug, that's a 1-3 game flight. Team Tank is on with a game flight like that. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it, was, it was pretty ugly. I mean, I know a lot of fans were ugly crying along with Boudreaux after that Edmonton game as the inevitable of that being his last game behind the Canucks bench came to fruition early Sunday morning. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's been uh, a week, and just today we get some more news out of Vancouver. There's no shortage of news this week uh, between the press conference, between the coaching change, and today Andre Kuzmenko getting signed two years, $11 million. That's a 5.5 AAV. Doug, what are your thoughts on this deal? Yeah, look, I, I was kind of on trade Kuzmenko camp. I, I, I feel like we've got too many win- wingers at the moment, and I do think given what his cap hit was, you could get really good value for him. I do like the player. I do think he's got that really big personality, which seems to be lacking in the in the dressing room at the moment. Uh, just, you know, JT Miller kind of said it himself, that it's a very quiet room. Uh I don't like the 12-team no-trade protection. Uh, he can choose 12 teams not to get traded to. I don't like that. I think the the dollar's fine, five and a half, I'm totally fine with. Two-year deal, I mean, I, you know, it's it's not a terrible thing in the sense that, you know, theoretically, if the team isn't where they think they can be in two years, they can trade him. The only issue is they're, he's got a 12-team no-trade. What about you, Pete? What are your thoughts on the extension? Now, I, I'm a big Kuzmenko fan, so for me, just as a fan... I like having this guy uh, around. Also, Doug, I'm going to be drinking this episode because uh, it's been uh, it's been a hell of a week, and uh, I'm feeling a little feisty today, so I'm uh, I'm, I'm cracking a few during this episode. Um, Kuzmenko, the player, love him. The deal itself, it's a good AAV for a guy who's probably going to hit 70 points and uh, it be over 30 goals this year. Has chemistry with Petey. You're, you're right about the wingers. I I think that. We're going to see more moves, and right now it doesn't look good with the amount of money that they've got tied up on wingers, especially some underperforming wingers. Even at a five and a half cap hit, which he's not at yet, 
Kuzmenko is outperforming that right now. So he's about one of the only wingers is actually you're getting value from in terms of, of offensive production. Kuzmenko as well makes PD better. He's finally got a running mate for a couple of years. That is good. I understand that it is an opportunity that we missed acquiring an asset. Again, I don't know what was on the table. Maybe there was much. Maybe teams weren't offering first-rounders. Maybe it was prospects. Maybe it was seconds. I don't know. Uh, for me, though, this this one, like, and I'm I'm certainly on team trade a lot of people. Kuzmenko, for me, was, it, it never felt like we were going to trade him. I just, so I never really believed he was going to get traded. Like, Bo, I believe Bo's going to get traded. Uh, I think the writing's on the wall. I think Brock's going to get traded. I've, I've never felt that Kuzmenko was going to get traded. It didn't sound like anything that we were hearing that was coming out of the organization was saying that. And so for me, I, I kind of expected him to get signed. And uh, it's south of six, which which is good. We were hearing some people think it could be high as seven. So it's south of six. So for me, I'm, I'm okay with it. I, I understand the, the logic that people have for wanting to trade him. And it's totally a fair argument with that. But I, it doesn't sound like, again, the message coming out of management has been pretty clear they they're this is they're not going full rebuild if they were going full rebuild and they said that well then yeah this is completely a missed opportunity but they're saying retool and we don't have to like it as fans you can agree or disagree with it but they, they've told us what they're doing and so if, in, in my opinion i kind of expected kuzmenko i don't mind the deal um i think him and pd a couple more years of that could be really really fun and again, the 12-team no-trade list, I think now that Kuzmenko's done a bit of a lap around the league and he's seen some places he doesn't want to go, and uh, I think uh, that you know maybe a lot of those teams aren't going to be contending teams anyways or teams at a trade deadline two years from now that, uh, that he wouldn't go to. But I don't really think he has any intentions of leaving anytime soon. This is a bit of a two-year show-me deal, but um, yeah, overall, I'm actually okay with it. Yeah, I, I I saw one person put out this theory or this thought, which I think holds some merit, and that was, could if the Canucks did decide that they were going to trade Kuzmenko at this deadline and they weren't able to work out an extension, would they be selling themselves short on what a potential return could be on Kuzmenko? If he's this guy who is producing at a very, very good clip, you look, uh, someone put up some stats of... Uh, what Todd Bertuzzi, Marcus Naslin, there's a bunch of players, you know, what their point per game clip was in their year 26, 27, which Kuzmenko is 26 years old, turns 27, I believe, next week. Um, it's pretty impressive uh, for a guy, and especially this is his first real taste of North American hockey and the smaller ice surfaces and stuff like that. And because he's kind of this unknown commodity, you know, maybe he's worth more than, you know, I think most fans had it in their mind. If you could get a first round pick or a, a decent prospect, you'd be pretty happy with it. I know I've said that on this podcast, but I saw someone put up the argument, you know, maybe they would be selling low on Kuzmenko if they traded him at this deadline because he's such an unknown commodity to all the GMs and maybe getting him on this two year deal, this two year small extension at the end of it, if things still aren't working out for this club and they aren't where they think they need to be, you could probably get a bigger haul for him in two years, provided he still is able to keep up the same production that he's seemingly started his career with this year. Well, two years at the trade deadline, he'll be 29. Uh, that doesn't mean that he's over the hill, but yeah, there is two more years 
of experience there. And if the Canucks aren't in a playoff spot, 29-year-old, if he's putting up even 60 points a year, there will be teams who'd be interested in him, and and you could get, I think, at least a, a, as good a, a deal as now. What if what if Coos and Petey go off next year, right? What if they what if they do, right? Best case is they have two years where, like, Coos is putting up eighty points. Canucks then let's say, hey, maybe by then they've sorted their shit out and they're pushing for a playoff spot. Or if they're not, maybe you have increased Kuzmenko's value. And and again, this is just, there's a whole shit ton of what ifs with that. Like we, we just don't know, but there, there can be a case. I mean, Kuzmenko is a relatively unknown. His, his defensive game still needs some work. He's certainly got chemistry, but he's got hands. He scored that really beauty goal against Chicago when he was just in close uh, with the, with the silky mitts there. Um, it, it's, he's a guy who I, I think people are still trying to figure out. And I, I was saying, and I tweeted this and in my head, it made a lot more sense what I was saying, but of course I, I had people coming out at me uh, from all corners and, and I get it now because, uh, just the, the way I was thinking is I don't think Kuzmenko, let's say you were to trade Kuzmenko right now you're trading him to uh, a contender. So that means it's a first-round pick between 17 and 32. I also don't think that it's going to be a first-round pick for this year. I don't think teams are going to part with a first-rounder for that guy for this year. So it's a 17 to 32 pick in all likelihood next year is what I'm thinking it is. And again, next year isn't as good a draft and those late first rounders, man, it's there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee with that. And that's, I think, another reason why management has said they want prospects. And look, I love first round picks. I love that. But you, as you know, as well as I do, Doug, the Canucks have missed on a lot of first round picks in the top five, the top 10 in the late first round. It's no guarantee that you're getting something back for him. And for me, once you get past like about 17, in a normal draft year, which uh, again, 2024 sounds more like a normal draft year, there's absolutely no guarantee that you're actually getting something back from. So for me, it's see see where he can go with another couple of years as well. A 12 team, no trade. Sure, it limits you from, you know, that there's only 19 teams you can trade him to now, but I, I still think it doesn't completely kill his value unless he absolutely falls off a cliff. But from what I've seen, I don't see that happening. Yeah, again, if you could have got a 2023 first-round pick, because they say this is such a deep draft, I, I would have really yeah. considered it. Um, For sure. I think I just I think don't. He, I just don't think teams are willing to trade that pick necessarily when there's a guy with... I, I don't want to say question marks, but I don't know if that's the type of player contending teams would give up a pick, a first-rounder this year for. Yeah, and that that's a totally fair point. Um, I, I, I think at the issue... At the end of the day, one of the big issues, and we've heard Rutherford say this, that they've tried to make moves, but a lot of the contracts that they currently have, namely, I think, Brock Besser, Connor Carland, uh, probably Tyler Myers, and definitely OEL, are really hard hard contracts to move. And even though there are teams that are willing to take a gamble on Brock Besser, I think a team like Pittsburgh, Jim Rutherford's old stomping grounds, yeah, I, I you might be able to revitalize Besser's career if he's playing next to a guy like Sidney Crosby. Um, but he just makes too much money right now. And because across the league, so many teams are so cap strapped, uh, with the dead cap, you just, there's no wiggle room and the teams that do have some of the cap space, they're nowhere near in contention to 
want to add a player like Besser unless they're taking the bad contract on, which means you have to have a sweetener. And the Canucks obviously don't have the resources to add draft picks or prospects to sweeten a deal to get off of Besser's contract. The other thing you've heard is people have talked about uh, retaining salary, and there have been multiple reports that the Canucks don't want to retain any salary on, be- on a potential Besser trade. So who knows where that is? I, I, look, I like Kuzmenko a lot. Uh, I don't hate the deal. I guess y- we got to be patient. We got to see what ends up happening. I-, I think this pretty much all but confirms Horvat's going to be traded. Who knows? Maybe not. But I think this pretty much confirms that. I think the likes of a Brock Besser could be traded, depending on the team's cap space. Garland, I do think now that Tockett's here, I think you might actually see Garland stay, and there'll be less of a push to try to move Garland, in my opinion. Yeah, fair enough. I think the Garland's Garland's an interesting one, for sure. But th- this this whole trade, for me, or it's trade, this whole signing, it it's definitely involves other moves happening uh, on its own right now it doesn't necessarily look like it's the best move for Vancouver but I do believe that there's a lot more to come I mean you even saw Elliot Friedman today was talking about how he believes the Canucks are going to be very active at the deadline I would like that I, I would like to see the Canucks do whatever they can to acquire prospects and get rid of some cap space and so people say well why don't you want that with Kuzmenko and it's not a blanket statement to say that, you know, I, I, I just because I want that doesn't mean that everybody has to go out the door in, in part of the this plan. But there's certainly other players who I feel are more passengers than Kuzmenko is right now. And remember, there's only a few players that we know are guys that are part of this new regime. Yes, Miller was brought in by the old regime, but the new regime signed him. Kuzmenko and Mikheyev were both brought in by the new regime. You have some of these other guys like Curtis Lazar, Jack Studnika, Ethan Bear. Like you're starting to see the guys that they're bringing in. And if what we've seen so far is any indication, we're going to get more into the the coaching situation later. Uh, We've got Brendan on as usual, and he's going to talk a little bit about this. But what you're starting to see now with your, your NHL coach is gone. Your AHL coach from last year is gone. You're likely trading your captain you're, they're now bringing in, they're, they're turning this over and getting it more into their vision. And I don't think a lot of Canucks fans can argue that we need change. We need a culture change desperately. But Kuzmenko isn't one of those guys because that's not one of the guys that they inherited. That's a guy that they brought in. They like what they've seen. They they really wanted to get him. They they were able to woo him to Vancouver. He loves it here. He's a character. He's a fan favorite already. He's for me. He's not one of the guys who are in issues. But there's a ton of other guys. That all the guys that that Elliot mentioned in that he mentioned Bo Besser, Myers, and Demko. You know, and Demko is maybe the one that uh, some people are like, oh, I don't know, but I, I'd be all right if the Canucks were shifting out all those guys, getting in prospects, getting in cap space, getting in some picks. I'd be okay with that. But for me, Kuzmenko doesn't fit in with all those guys. It's not a blanket one size fit all statement to say you got to trade everybody. Because if you're doing that, you're now into a rebuild. And we know that we're not in a rebuild because management has told us since day one we're in a retool. So again, you don't have to like that, but that's not the direction the team is going. Yeah. And I think this management group, their main focus is going to be getting PD signed to a long term contract. And if they think, Having a running mate 
like Kuzmenko, where he can play with him for the next couple of years and potentially longer, it makes sense, right? I I think Talkit actually talked about how he kind of wants to have pairs, you know, like you've got Petey and Kuzmenko on a line together. Maybe you have Miller and Garland on a line together. Maybe you have Horvat and Besser on another line together and just kind of have these pairs and then have a rotating winger playing with the, those pairs. Whether or not that works, and I, it sounds like some of those guys are probably going to be traded. Uh, who knows? Um, I like I like it. Uh, again, I, I, I do like the Kuzmenko signing. Like, I think it's a good signing. I, I think... I just think that there was an opportunity where you could have probably cashed in. I, I think it's relatively low risk for a lot of GMs because he makes so little money and he's a guy that has been able to produce on one of the worst teams in the league. Um, for me, anyways, I think there was a potentially a missed opportunity there, but I'm still waiting to see what happens with a Horvat trade to really judge it. If they can, you know, absolutely knock it out of the park with a Horvat trade, get a pick, a prospect, and a potential roster player, I will be a lot more okay with the Kuzmenko signing. Uh, and then if they can get anything for a guy like Besser or Tyler Myers, I mean, yes, absolutely. Horvat to me is, uh, I mean, obviously that's a, a big part of everything that needs to happen, but I, I think for me uh, the Kuzmenko deal is more, uh, what we should be watching more for is what happens with other wingers. And again, Brock Besser, what happens with him, if the Canucks can ship him out, that is more important, I think, to the overall to the the Kuzmenko deal. I mean, Horvat's a center. It's 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 kind of a, a different. It's I, I get you know I get the the comparisons, but it is a slightly different situation. I want to see what the Canucks can do with their wingers, but I think overall, you know, I again, I'm the fan in me is happy with this missed opportunity. Well, sure, I mean, you could have traded him. But again, what were teams offering? I, I'd like to know that. If if someone was offering a top 15 first-round pick in this draft and the Canucks said no, yeah, that's a mistake. That would be a huge mistake, in my opinion, that they that they let that one go. But if teams are like, ooh, you know, we don't know. This guy's never played a playoff game. We don't know what he's like. Uh, he's a UFA at the end of the year. He may not like it here. You know, we don't want to give up too much to, to get him as a rental because we only really maybe see him as like a third line winger who can play the power play but not kill penalties. We'll give you a second round pick and a B-level prospect. And the second rounder could be next year. And if you're getting into stuff like that, well, for me, that's I'd rather keep Kuzmenko. So, I mean, there's there's a whole lot of what ifs that, that tie in with this. But it is critical now that the Canucks really start to remold this roster. I mean, you've got these other pieces that are starting to come together in, in terms of, of their vision. And uh, you, you got to ship off some of the these passengers. You mentioned Miller saying it's a quiet room. I've heard that from numerous people. I, I know a few people who are either close to Canucks staff or, or, or being around the team or work for the Canucks in some capacity. And a lot of the things I hear are the same things. It's uh, it's a quiet group. There's certain players who are disinterested. Uh, there's not a lot of camaraderie. And anyone who's been in a team environment knows that if you're in a quiet room, it, you just don't gel as well. You need that energy. You need that vocal aspect of it. And I think that's part of, especially you see it with Miller, with his frustrations. I, I don't know if this is necessarily a room that he's used to, but he did choose to re-sign here. Um, so I, I, it's... Everything to me comes down to 
how is this roster going to look when we get to September next year? Yeah, uh, this trade deadline and this pending offseason are going to be huge for this management group, and they really need to start putting action to the words they keep saying. You know, I mean, you heard Rutherford say major surgery, um, that they do want to do a retool, but, you know, he thinks they have been tanking because they've been so bad. Um, they really need to kind of figure out what they're going to do moving forward and whatever they think the best offer is for Bull. They have to take it. I, I, the only thing I worry about is last year, it seemed like they were kind of holding out for a big home run deal on Miller and it didn't happen. And then they got stuck holding the bag, so to speak, and they ended up resigning him. And this year, there's so much more pressure because you don't have that luxury of Horvat signed for one more year. You have to essentially, make, if you're not signing him, you have to make a trade. Um, and that's a good thing because you know that they're going to hopefully be able to capitalize in it. I heard, I don't know if it was Elliot Friedman or it was one of the insiders. They were saying that there's 25 teams that have called about Horvat across the league, wow. even teams that aren't playoff teams. He, everyone's calling because there are a lot of teams who feel like, hey man, like this is a guy that could potentially come in and be a leader for us next year, despite us not being in playoff contention or a true Stanley Cup contender. There's There's been reports that the LA Kings have been calling uh, the Canucks on Horvat because they think they could use him. And I know, and I don't think the Kings are ready to give up on a guy like Quinton Byfield, but Byfield's been struggling this year, you know? And that's a name that, again, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that's a name that I've seen some people float out there, right? Um, you're not saying so, it, but you're saying no. it. Yes, so I'm saying it for somebody else, I guess. But yeah, I think that we just need to see, they've been patient for the most part. And I do appreciate that because I think Benning often was impatient. Um, I want to see them make a big trade and just see what that big trade looks like. Because often when Benning would make the quote unquote big trades, a lot of Canuck fans were left scratching their head. You know, I look at the Eric Branson trade. Obviously there's the OEL trade. Uh, there was a lot of trades that Benning made that the the bigger trades, so to speak, that you were wondering, what did we just do? Why did we just give up an extra first round pick for 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 this? Um, so it's going to be interesting uh, these next couple of weeks. I know you put a tweet out today, Pete, about taking uh, the trade deadline off. I'm definitely get planning to take the trade deadline off that day. Yeah. So uh, we, yeah, should, uh, we, should out, we should we should hang out. We should hang out that morning, man. Make some Caesars. Hit sit on yeah. the couch and uh, dude. Uh, of course, I, I mean, mean if the can- yeah, all right. Sweet. Well, we're, we're doing it. It's a, it's a date. I'm um, just going back to LA. LA has a deep prospect pool as well. And they are actually right now, they're third in the division. I mean, it's it's a battle. Edmonton is right on their heels. Calgary's not far behind them. Right now, five teams from the Pacific Division would make the playoffs. So LA is in it. And LA could be one of those teams, uh, a bit of a dark horse with it, really. Like they've they've got the assets to do it. Like everyone, they don't have really any cap space. But they could be uh, a dark horse. You know, Detroit's name comes up a lot. Uh, I still think Carolina is the team to watch over there. Uh, myself, uh, that's a Dallas that's a now has been floated out there. A lot of people are yeah. saying, wow, the Canucks can finally get Stankoven. Yeah, well, Dallas is an interesting one. Dallas doesn't have their first round pick this year. They're one of three teams that have traded their first round pick already. Florida and Tampa are the other two. Uh, So those are the only three teams that don't have a first rounder this year, which includes Dallas. However, Dallas has a good team and they don't they don't have a third this year either. So you're going to be tough prying 
a second round pick out of Dallas for this year at the very least, which means if they want to make a trade like this happen, yeah, a guy like Stankoven, it would be someone the Canucks should be all over. Man, I really like Stankoven. That would be someone I would look at almost like, you know, a one for one even, you know, if they were to just say, what do we get back for Horvat Stankoven? I'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah, I would want a little bit more back. Like maybe, you know, I, I don't know what Dallas is. Sure defense prospects are but yes that is a seemingly blue chip prospect that this team would be adding to the prospect group um and they desperately need it and Stankoven to me is a guy that you know maybe in a year or two could be playing NHL games consistently they've got a they've got a few prospects I, I admittedly don't know uh, enough uh, about all their prospects but and I would want more for sure but I mean that's kind of the piece that if you're the Canucks you're looking at and you're you're saying hey man if we can get this guy then all of a sudden I think you're gonna see uh, a lot of happy faces here there's a lot of people out there in Canucks land who are really big on uh, a guy like Logan Stankovan. And again, you said, what, 25 teams? I mean, Logan's another BC kid as well. You know, and he, he played his junior out here as well in Kamloops. He was doing the hometown thing there. Uh, but there's a lot of teams that are interested, as you mentioned, um, including non-playoff teams. They got to pull the trigger on someone. This is one, though, like you said with Miller, you don't have that cushion. If Bo isn't moved by the trade deadline... Holy shit, man! I uh, I am just gonna delete my Twitter account that day. I do, I will not. I want to be near anything. I'm just gonna put the phone on silent. Be like, oh boy, I'm heading to the Kings Eight Mall to rumble with everyone and throw pickles at each other. <laughs> well, I mean, Dollywall reported today that Bo's agent's been in town for the last two days, and the Canucks have not met with him. Now, Dollywall said they've refused to meet with him. I don't know. And again, I'm not judging Dollywall's. You know, maybe he re- used the wrong word. Refuse seems really strong. You know, they, maybe they just didn't make an effort to meet with him. I guess you could say that's the same as refusing. But refuse makes, makes it seems like, yeah, they didn't want anything to do with him, which I don't know if that was necessarily the case. Obviously, they were probably putting, you know, the final merits together on the Kuzmenko contract today. But, but Dollywell also said they were in Toronto and they didn't meet with him when they were in Toronto either. So I think the writing's on the wall. Rutherford has pretty much come out and said that they are going to offer Bo a contract on his merits prior to this season. I think they might think that this season's a bit of an outlier for his goal production and his point totals. And they don't want to have to pay a premium on one year, which Bo, obviously him and his agent are trying to capitalize on. And I totally get that. Yeah, 100%. And also it is worth noting as we get closer to the uh, the trade deadline, teams do have the LTIR cap space uh, that they've accrued to various levels. So even if you're, you're looking, you're like, oh, you know, the Canucks don't have any cap space. Well, they actually have about 700,000 in, in cap space right now. And there's a lot of teams around there. Columbus is in town tomorrow today by the time we get this release that's another team i've heard some rumblings with with bo horvat uh that could be the guy to go with johnny hockey over there and and maybe get them going but you better believe they're not trading their first round pick because they're they're in on the bedard tank and you had every gm in the league almost in town for that vancouver chicago game and obviously all going out to the top prospects game out in langley so you got to think that talks are gonna heat up you got the all-star break the canucks have nine days off there is a chance that tomorrow could be the last game for Bo Horvat. There, I, I really believe that the Canucks don't want to trade him till after the All Star game. I think the league has probably said, like, hey, 
just uh, so that shit doesn't get awkward here, can you keep Bo until after the All-Star game? I do think shortly after the All-Star game, he's gone. And I think this for a couple of reasons. One, the Canucks do not want to risk him getting injured. Could you imagine if Bo gets injured? Uh, what that would be for this franchise? I think the Canucks need to do that. And in the past few years, you've seen guys get traded before the deadline. You've seen other teams pounce. I think the Canucks would be wise to do that. By doing that as well, it theoretically makes your team worse, which includes your your tank odds. I believe the Canucks are sixth last in the NHL right now, uh, sixth or seventh. So it helps with, with that as as well. Um, for me, it's there's there's some good cases to to move Bo sooner rather than later get this get the distraction over as well but really the last thing you want is Bo getting injured because that would just be absolutely catastrophic for this and and again I know we've talked about this in the past when how often do you get guys who are having pacing for 40 50 goal years be UFAs who are still in their 20s you know it's it's rare at the trade deadline to have a piece like this who's also a captain in a Canadian market I, I think this is something that you should see sooner rather than later um, and just really start shaking up this core. But again, you can't trade him if you don't have a partner. Yeah. And again, it would be so Canucks if Bo got injured. Uh, Joel Edmondson in Montreal tonight apparently got hurt. I don't know how serious it was, but he had to be helped oh, off man. the ice. And that's a guy who seemingly is going to be traded at this coming deadline. And he is now injured. So who knows what, how that's going to affect the market there. Um, I yeah I do think there's a strong chance that Bo ends up playing his last game as a Canuck tomorrow night, um, but it's a big risk. You're playing him; he could he could get hurt. The other game, I think he he sustained what a lot of people thought might have been a bit of a knee injury. I think it was just a stinger, and he shook it off and continued to play. But yeah, it's a big risk. I mean, I don't even want to say it, but you know, even at the All Star game, you know, Bo could theoretically get injured. He step on a puck, twist his ankle or twist his knee. Like you know, all this stuff is. Definitely wrap possibility. Wrap him in bubble wrap, man. Let's just wrap him in well, bubble wrap. I mean, Pete Rose. I, I, I forget the poor back catcher's name, but he pretty much ended that guy's career at an All-Star game. Pete Rose, you know, smashed yeah. the back catcher at the All-Star game. The guy was a really good player, too. Uh, again, I feel terrible that I can't remember his name. And at an All-Star game, Charlie Hustle. And that guy was never the same player again. And his career essentially was cut short because of it. And again, totally different scenario than what an All-Star game is. All-Star game is pretty much a game of shimmy. Um, or like the the beauty league kind of is what it is. It's a glorified the beauty league. But uh, yeah, I I think tomorrow night is probably going to be Bo's last game as a Canuck, more than likely. And I hope the fans give him a really warm ovation like they did Bruce. Ray Foss was the catcher, and it was in uh, 1970. Yeah, Charlie Hustle, man, that guy, he was a prick when he played, and he's seemingly a prick still today. But a hell of a baseball player, despite betting on his own team. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that funny? And now betting is uh, legal all over the place. It's kind of a funny one. Um, Doug, we got a few things coming up today. I mentioned we got Brendan coming up here. Um, but let's keep things moving. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, how's things going, man? It's been a busy week in Canucks land. What about Doug land? Yeah, it's been pretty good, man. Uh, you and I are going to a concert tomorrow, so I'm really looking forward yeah. to that. Uh, we're going to try to catch the Canuck game uh, beforehand and then uh, head head to the show. Probably when the third period starts, I would imagine, would be roughly the time we would head to the show. Maybe not. I mean, it is a hip-hop show. Most hip-hop shows do start really late, so who it's knows? True. 
But yeah, man, my week's been pretty good. There's a lot of projects going on at work, so I'm just trying to, you know, get a grasp on all of that. What about you, Pete? How's your week been? Uh, yeah, pretty good, actually, overall. Um, uh, kind of been back on uh, the running train, doing some long runs, uh, really back into doing some music projects with a couple buddies. That's really fun because we, we kind of hadn't been doing that for well really for a couple of years but now we kind of got it going in full swing so that's uh that's a lot of fun it's just nice having some things i can do at home that uh you know don't involve just sitting on the couch and uh so i've been really enjoying that and i've got a couple of really good beers coming up uh on tap as well that i made so yeah overall just trying to find that nice balance try not to work too hard try not to play too hard just uh you know kind of keeping steady eddie and uh um, yeah, that's, uh, that's about it, man. Nothing, nothing too crazy. Looking forward to that gig tomorrow as well. Um, also folks, uh, if you want to hear more of our ramblings and hear us talk about hip hop shows, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas and the podcast is at Canuck speak. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And check out the Spotify playlist Pete and I have curated. It's the Canuck speakeasy outro playlist. Uh, another funky jam will be added to the playlist at the end of this episode. And Pete, uh, why don't you tell the people about the iconic hip hop group that you used for last week's outro music? Well, this was kind of a, a bit of a bit of a lay-in, really, a, a bit of a soft lob over the plate. A couple episodes ago, we we you mentioned De La Soul in the Free Pour, and I asked you if you were familiar with this album. Um, and I told you before we started recording that I actually uh, I screwed something up with the outro track that I was going to use. It didn't quite match up the way I thought it was, uh, so I switched it and uh, I went. I decided to go to De La Soul because of what you're mentioning on the free pour and this is from the anonymous nobody album which was released a, f- a few years ago now uh, i want to say like four years ago but i have a feeling it might even be longer uh anyways it's it's an album that uh i when i first heard that uh, album i just i loved it there's a, a track they did with uh, little dragon that was just amazing um and this one i there's a few different ones i could have chose that little dragon one didn't work as well with the in uh the outro but the beat for the track uh used pain i put the instrumental on and of course on our playlist is the full version uh pain uh, by de la soul and of course it wouldn't be a hip-hop song without having snoop on it so snoop makes an appearance on there as well uh the production on this album is just over the top man like de la soul has been doing crazy stuff for years like three feet high and rising when that came out that was over the top and crazy production, but I cannot recommend this album enough. The Anonymous Nobody, I have it on vinyl as well. It's a beautiful pressing. It sounds fantastic, but the track we use is called Pain, De La Soul featuring Snoop Dogg. Uh, check it out. It's on our playlist. Yeah, I love De La Soul. I haven't listened to a lot of their newer stuff, but I know exactly the album you're talking about. It's like the little cartoon drawing of yeah. like a dude in school or something like that. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. So I know the album. I just haven't actually sat down and given it a good listen. But uh, yeah, I'll definitely check it out, especially since Pain has now been added to the playlist. Yeah, yeah, I think you'd like it, man. It's it's really good hip hop. It's very De La Soul. Um, It just it really kind of resurrected my faith. And uh, a lot of those bands from that era, they they kind of disappear and drift off and De La Soul. They come out and they just put out this banger album. I just looked it up. It was 2016. But that's still like 
geez, like almost 30 years after Three Feet High and Rising, and they uh, they still kill it. And, you know, they do a lot of other stuff. The last time I saw De La Soul was actually, uh, well, I think maybe the second last time, you know, I saw them here one time when they played with the Gorillas, and I saw them do a solo show at the Commodore, and they still bring it, man. They just, they're, they're everywhere, kind of like Snoop is as well. But yeah, great stuff, man. I think you'd like it. I'll definitely check it out. All right, Doug, let's uh, get back into Canucks stuff here. Let's hear what Brendan has to say on this week's episode of Jabberin' with Jabo. Just a bit outside. Well, another week, and... Well, this week, actually, a lot has happened since I last talked to you. Uh, The Canucks have a new head coach. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux is no longer the head coach. And, you know, we can spend hours talking on whether that was handled properly. I think most people agree that it wasn't handled as well as it should have been. Probably for most people, that's putting it lightly. Um, But regardless, there is a new head coach, Rick Tockett. Uh, Sergey Gonchar and Adam Foote in his assistance. Um, they played two games. One game against Chicago. They beat a very bad Chicago team. Looked good doing it. So I'll give them credit there. They did look good doing it. Uh, and then looked like Chicago the next night um, in Seattle. Uh, where a lot of the warts and the holes um, in the roster, in the systems and everything that we see in in the trust that they have in each other on the ice all came and showed themselves in in glorious fashion. Um, And then just before I started recording, Andre Kuzmenko gets signed to a two-year deal worth five and a half million. Um, And I'm just going to say this on that. You know, if you if you look at it just in terms of today, that that deal makes no sense. Um, you know, the Canucks are have a dearth of wingers. Winger is not an issue of theirs. Um, but you know, as I have a ten, I have a tendency to do, and some people like it, and some people don't. I don't. I'm not going to look at a deal on day one of it and say, okay, well that's. The, the, the sum total. Like, if, yeah, if you were to judge it based on today, it doesn't make a lot of sense. That doesn't mean it's not going to make sense. Um, and a lot of the judgment on this deal will happen, uh, will, will begin as we assume more moves are coming. Now, the issue with that is, is that this management group has yet to, you know, put a lot of faith or probably garner a lot of faith from you know this fan base and this market in terms of their ability to pull off deals, um, you know, and that's not necessarily all their fault. Um, you know, salary cap and restrictions, the fact that there aren't a lot of deals happening, period, um, definitely have something to do with that. So, you know, I'm not going to judge this on today. You know, the deal itself isn't bad. Two years at five and a half. You know, you're, you're, you're going to keep your best player and Elias Pettersson happy, presumably, if he isn't. I mean, you know, there are a lot of people speculating that he probably isn't happy and that he might leave anyways. But that, to me, is pure speculation, and no one really knows that whether that's true or not. The only There's only one person that knows that, and that's Elias Pettersson, and time will tell. 
So, I mean, really, as the months go on, as the deals that we assume are going to get made, get made, this deal may make more sense. Now, conversely, if, if things continue the way they have, and management can't make the deals that I think they assume they can, then this deal makes a lot less sense. It just, you know, you look at it as, you know, hey, we already have a ton of forwards. This doesn't tend to help us in the long term or the short, short term in terms of helping this team get to inevitably where this manage group believe, management group believes they can. So as for Rick Talkett, um, it's, it's, it's much the same. I mean, I, I, I've, I have liked a lot of what I've heard. Um, there's no doubt about it. There's a lot of work to be done. I mean, you watched it in that Seattle game. Um, you know, there's just a lack of, a lack of trust on that, uh, trust on the ice between players, um, that lead that you can argue whether that leads to a lack of, of effort. Um, but certainly the effort wasn't there. I mean, in terms of systems, I mean, a a system is going to help you along the way, but you have to fill in the gaps with your hard work. And the Canucks did not win puck battles. They were second to every puck uh, all night long. Um, and, and they were beaten handily. Um, and, you know, I, I assume for Rick Tockett, you know, it, it's hard to implement new systems in the middle of a season um, because the practice time just isn't there to do so. And, and changing systems takes, you know, takes a, takes a decent amount of work and a, a decent amount of repetition to get those players understanding where they need to be, where it's not just, they don't have to think about it anymore. So that's certainly going to take time. But that doesn't mean right now the assumption would be that he is probably doing a pretty hardcore analysis of these players and making decisions on players. Who can I win with and who can, and who am I looking at and thinking this guy just is not going to get it? Because you can... you. You can teach systems to players who want to be taught them, but there are those guys that there are guys out there that just aren't putting effort in. And you know, I mean, it's it, it, it's going to be difficult. And if you're trying to build a new culture, um, you better find the guys that you're going to win with, um, and 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 then you make that work. I mean, you know, Kevin Bieksa had a really a good clip from Hockey Night in Canada discussing what Elaine Vino did when he showed up and. Um, the tearing down of that roster and the tearing down of veteran players. And you better believe the young players see that. Um, and I do see Rick Tockett being in a, a, a similar vein to that. Um, a guy that has his rules in place and he's made it. We don't know what those rules are specifically, but he has said that he has rules and you have to follow them. And if you don't follow them, you won't be playing. So what does that mean? I mean, it's hard to say so far. He's only coached two games. Um, again, I like what I've heard, but you know, the sum total of what this hire will mean will be shown in the coming months into next season. Really, I think next season is where you're really going to become begin to do that analysis of of, of Rick Talk at the coach, because then he'll have an off season. Presumably, this roster is going to be reshaped somewhat. I don't know to what extent they're going to be able to do that, but certainly you would have to assume you're going to have some different players in there. Um, it's looking more and more 
like a real possibility that Bo Horvat will be one of the one of the casualties in all of this, and he will be moving on. And what do you get in return for that? Are you able to move Garland and Besser? Are they able to go? Uh, maybe Tyler Myers. I don't know whether that whether he will be movable, but certainly after his his uh, bonus is paid out in the summer, it makes it easier. So there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of um, uh, a lot of a lot of things up in the air that we just don't know and it, and it's difficult and I'm not the one like I, I mean I know a lot of fans like instant analysis on things all this trade means this all this trade is great or this this higher or whatever I mean I'm a more pragmatic person I'm not going to do that I'm going to give uh give things a little more time to figure out you know where they're headed and certainly in terms of the shaping of the roster after this Kuzmenko deal I'm going to give it more time um, to see what they can do. I'll probably give them till next preseason because by that point, that's what the roster is probably going to look like. And if it's still the same as we're seeing right now, you're getting, I'm going to have a lot of questions. Um, in terms of Rick talking, I'm going to give him time as well. Got to give him time to see how this roster fits in terms of his identity um, and then begin the process of implementing his system, which is going to take some time considering we're right in the middle of the season. So, Oh, I've talked for a few minutes. I'll be back next week. I'll talk for a few more minutes. We'll see what's, we'll see what's going on. Maybe there will be more to talk about as we head into the All-Star break. We'll talk next week. All right, thanks, Brandon. Um, you may not hear from you next week just because I think we're probably going to be taking a week off after tomorrow slash today when we release this. The Canucks don't play for nine days, so we might take a, a week off ourselves here. But two weeks from now, uh, we'll have you back, and maybe there'll be some more moves and things to talk about because this has been quite the eventful week um going into like uh just what he said i mean let's let's first of all you know let's kind of backtrack a, a little bit here doug i mean rick talkett is the coach now and we haven't really even talked about how we got to this point and the bruce boudreaux effect in incident and handling and I'll, I'll start this one off here i i love bruce boudreaux I, I mean, what a likable guy. He goes, finishes his time with Vancouver in terms of winning percentage is the fourth best all time, which which is fantastic, especially given the cards he was dealt. It's pretty obvious this year that, he, that the team and him, it, it, whatever, it wasn't working. Without looking at everything outside and around, you can make an argument that Bruce Boudreaux should be relieved of his coaching job in most situations. What obviously... A lot of fans and media and everyone uh, really across the hockey world did not like was the way this was handled. In my opinion, this was handled very poorly by Vancouver. It was way more public. I've never really seen a situation where a coach is saluting the crowd knowing it's his last game. That's bizarre. It's a very bad look for Vancouver. And I know that Rutherford and Alvin have said some things afterwards and and apologized or said it could have been handled better. Uh, but for me, a coaching change, sure. I mean, I, I'd, I've said on this podcast, uh, I don't really see the the rush for this. Uh, I would have liked to just see Boudreaux ride this year out and continue this tankathon because this season is lost. Like I said, we're sixth worst in the league right now. Uh, there's every year to tank. This is it. Uh, but the the way it was handled and bringing in the new coach, I thought was a bit of a disaster. I understand why they wanted to bring in Talkett right now, um, and also, it, it, like, don't boo Talkett, people. Like, it's not his fault. I mean, 
it's it's the coach of the team. I, I don't think booing Tockett is fair. You can boo Alvin and Rutherford for the way they handled it. That's totally fine, but uh, I don't think booing Tockett is fair. Um, but that that's kind of my two cents about it. Yeah, I, look, I I think it was absolutely handled po- handled poorly by management. Rutherford seemingly out the gate was criticizing Boudreau at the start of the season, all through training camp. He made a comment saying he didn't even know he had another year left on that deal. Um, he was not his coach. He was not Rutherford's coach. They wanted his own coach. I think they wanted Boudreaux to ramp up practice intensity and, again, structure, play, have the team play with more structure, and it didn't happen. And I think because they handled it so poorly, the narrative changed where now all the fans, and kudos to all the fans that were in attendance for the Colorado and Edmonton game, ch- chanting, Bruce, there it is. I thought that was really awesome and really touching, especially at the end of the Edmonton game where you could tell Bruce was pretty choked up, obviously. Um, but I think they took a situation where, given how poorly the team has played this year, most fans would have probably been calling for Boudreaux to be let go, despite being, like you said, Pete, a very likable ju- boisterous, joyous personality. I think most fans would have been like, yeah, you know what? Love Bruce, but it's not working. I think this team needs a new coach. They need more structure. They need more defense first thought when they're on the ice, as opposed to just trying to push, 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 push. Um, but that's not what happened. The, the the management group fumbled the ball. I don't know. Rutherford is so highly regarded before he came here. He had success in Carolina. He had obviously back-to-back cup wins with Pittsburgh. I don't know what it is, man, but like since he's been here, there have there has been a lot of drama. And I think most fans thought that the drama would have ended after Benning left, but it seems to have only gotten worse. And I'm not saying any of this is necessarily Rutherford's fault. The Boudreaux stuff I do think is Rutherford's fault because he was very poignant in his criticism to the media about what Boudreaux was or wasn't doing as far as structure, practices, and team intensity. But yeah, there's just been so many things that have come up recently. Obviously, you have the Tanner Pearson injury. You have the Rachel Dory situation. The Bruce Brujo situation. People criticizing this management group for re-signing uh, JT Miller. There's there's just so many things. And I, I for a guy that seems so, I don't know if calculated was the right word, but stoic. Uh, there just seems to be so many issues hap- happening with this club this year. And they're not all part of the same reason, but when you're the person at the top of the food chain and all these things are happening under your watch, you're going to be the person that gets criticized. I'm sorry, but you just are. Um, but yeah, look, I feel bad for Boudreaux. Uh, I, I think all of us wish him the best. I think he'd be really good having a spot on television. I did see one fan say they should do a Boudreaux BX segment in a hockey night in Canada, almost like an old coach's corner. I think that could be really fun. Uh, both dope. those guys are, yeah, I agree. The only issue I think with that is you, you still almost need a straight man. You know, you need like a more of a, like, okay, we need to move the segment along kind of guy like Ron McLean. I know a lot of people hate Ron McLean. But he plays a good straight man to what Don Cherry was of this, you know, over the top, brash, outspoken personality. And I think you would almost need that for BX and Boudreaux. But still, I think it would be awesome. Um, and then going back to what Brennan said, uh, you know, I like what I heard from Tockett. I thought Tockett equated himself well in that press conference. I actually think he did a better job 
in that press conference than either Rutherford or Elveen did. I didn't, I mean, Elveen said that he, you know, and again, I, I think it's just semantics, but Elveen to start the press conference says, oh, he decided this morning he was going to let go of Boudreaux. No, you didn't. It was decided <laughs> a week ago, if not a month ago, right? Um, I thought one of the things that came out of that press conference that not a lot of people talked about was that Elveen was having decisions or helping with some of the decision process of the lineup when Boudreaux was coaching. You know, he had yeah, input on... Yeah, that, that is weird. I agree. Um Rutherford kind of apologizing, but then kind of doubling down that he thinks it was all media driven and that the media made a big deal out of it. And that's why it turned into this whole thing. It's like, no, that's not what happened, man. You were the one making these public, you know, proclamations against your coach. And yes, sure. You didn't hire him, but he's still your coach. You have to build people up. That's your job. You need to build them up. Yes, he's not doing exactly what you need to do, but give him the confidence. When you don't believe in him right out the gate of the season, of course he's not going to have the confidence. And like most people, when you start to get criticized, when you haven't even been able to prove yourself to this person, you're going to say, fuck it. I don't give a shit anymore. And I didn't, I'm not saying Boudreaux did that, but that's what most people's mentalities are going to be like if you're under that kind of work environment. Are you going to miss having to say Bruce Boudreaux properly on these episodes? <laughs> I will definitely not miss that because I fucked that up probably at least twice an episode. You know what else with uh, with Rutherford that I, I find kind of weird or interesting or whatever is we heard when he started about how he runs a tight ship. And, you know, there's a lot of speculation about uh, Rachel Dory, and that was why she was let go about leaking news about McKayev. And, and, of course, that didn't turn out to be the case. But there's a lot of chatter about how oh, Rutherford runs a tight ship. Rutherford runs a tight ship. Maybe he does, but he's the one who's spilling all the beans all the time, man. He gets up there in front of the mic, and he's like, he's like, here's my cards, like, uh, and then and then he's like, well, the media makes it bad, or everyone makes it bad. It's like, dude, you're you're showing all your cards here, man. Like, uh, and so he said, uh, like, we had another press conference this week as well, not just the talk at one. We had a, we had the other one with the, the doctors and. And he even said there, he's like, I'm going to take a step back. It's like, dude, welcome to a Canadian market and welcome to Vancouver because uh, you can't say anything without it getting thrown under the microscope here. Yeah, and I think, I don't, I don't think he realizes how every comment he makes is going to be taken to task by this media base, by this fan base, and... A guy like Boudreaux is very well liked and respected across the entire league. And I think a lot of people, highly regarded people, thought that the way this was handled was very poor. And I know, look, and I'm very critical of Aquilini and the ownership. Absolutely. And if Aquilini was preventing them from making a coaching change early, earlier on in the season, yes, that's unfortunate. But you shouldn't be adding flames, fuel to the fire by constantly chastising Boudreaux to the public anytime you have a chance to speak to the media. That's kind of where the issue is for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see what happens. I, I, like Brendan talked about, you know, I think talk it theoretically could be a bit, bit a good fit for this group. And I do think that he can hold people more accountable. And I think that's something we haven't really seen. He was kind of not, nonchalantly being somewhat critical of JT Miller right off the gate. He kind of walked it back a bit and he's like, oh, maybe he's trying to save energy, you know, by not back checking, you know, he's kind of giving him a bit of an out, but talk it. He was, I think he seemingly had 
has a relatively good assessment of the guys that are given their full effort, game in, game out, shift in, shift out, and the guys that are kind of floating. Look, uh, Rick Tockett, Adam Foote, Sergey Gonchar, these are guys that were awesome in their prime. You know, maybe not quite Hall of Fame or borderline Hall of Fame, but they all got cups. They all know what it takes to win. They are just shy of 3,600 NHL games combined. And in particular with Tockett and Foot, they play a certain brand of hockey that I always loved. And it was very rare through the history of Vancouver time to have those eras where you played that way. 94 had that. 2011 had that. 94 had it probably even more than 2011. It was a different league then. But we very rarely have that level of a push from a team that's not run by Brian Burke or Pat Quinn. And these guys, for me, as players, I hated them. So I'm glad they're on our side right now. Now, what I what I want to see is them to bring that style of game to this team. JT Miller is the kind of guy who should fit into this mold. They should be able to do something for him and make him better. And this is something that we've heard that that was a part of the decision process. JT Miller, though, seems to me like this kind of guy for for this coaching staff. Um, I, I think who they brought in. I'm intrigued to see what happens. Again, I like the players. I like the the hard-nosed aspect of it. Obviously, no one likes the way this was handled, but now you've got rid of Boudreaux and Cull, the, the two coaches you inherited. You got your footprint here. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what these guys can do with the team, but I also know that this isn't their team yet, and that's why I keep saying September. That's, uh, for me, that's what I'm really waiting for. Yeah, the only thing I'm a little bit, uh, I don't know if critical is the right word, but disappointed with is that Gonchar apparently isn't going to be full-time. Um, obviously, he's yeah, why is the that? Why, do I don't you know. know why? They No, they never gave a reason. They just said that he's not going to be full-time. And, you know, he was behind the bench for these first two games against Chicago and Seattle, but they never really gave a reason. I know Tockett said, oh, yeah, there'll be lots of Zooms and stuff like that. But that's a little bit disappointing. Uh I do love Adam Foote, though. Like, he was a great player and a pivotal member of those Colorado Stanley Cup runs that they had with Forsberg, Sackick, and Adam Deadmarsh, and uh, perennial Canuck killer Alex Tangay. Um, and Milan Hayduke. Hayduke as well, yeah. Hayduke actually was probably more so than uh, Tangay, to be fair. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I like the the base of this group i i do think a lot of these guys and it also is worth saying that the canucks did let trent call go as well um but they kept mike yo behind the bench and they kept jason king behind the bench um for now we saw yes for now we saw two very different efforts uh in the first two games talk at his coach the first game was against chicago who is the worst team in the league like just what? watching them play they're off they were they were bad, although well, let's see what Columbus brings tomorrow. Yes, uh, and the Canucks dominated that first game, and I think there was a lot of things to like about that game, but like a lot of us were saying on Twitter, it's the Chicago Blackhawks. The next night, they played Seattle, and Seattle got their first franchise victory against the Canucks, and they absolutely trounced us. And talk it, I mean, he was speechless. Like, and not in a good way, like in a, in a bad way. Like after the game, he was just like, 
I, I don't even know what to say. Like, I just, I, I can't believe how poorly that effort was tonight and how bad they were on every aspect of the game last night. They were, or Wednesday night, they were so bad. Um, and I know Seattle's a good team. They have some guys who can really finish over there. And I know the guy is uh, another winger, which this team doesn't necessarily need, but Eli Tolvanen, why Nashville put that guy on waivers and let, you know dumped him for nothing? That shot, that goal he scored against the Canucks the other night, man, wow, an absolute howitzer. Um, but I am intrigued. I, I don't like the fact that Tockett worked for Elvin and Rutherford and Pittsburgh because they're not really going outside of their little box of potential candidates for this job, which bugs me because it's like, no, you should really, instead of just going with the guys, you know, I mean, Rutherford did that by hiring Patrick Elvin. There's the other assistant GM. I forget his name, but he was a guy that came over from Pittsburgh as well. Uh, and then you bring in Tockett, who was an assistant coach in Pittsburgh for a few years as well. Uh, I don't like that aspect of it. Cause it's like, I'm just hiring all my friends again. Uh, that's not a great look in my opinion, but I, I, I like what I've heard from Tockett. I really do. I think, I, I think he's going to hold these guys accountable and he's going to be able to kind of weed out some of the, the floaters out there and kind of really put those guys to task. One thing I will say, though, is that Pittsburgh crew, they won a cup. It, it's, there is that, right? Like, I mean, they got it Back done. to back, Pete. Back to back. Yeah. And that, that's but they've got Sidney Crosby, right? Yeah, but you got Sidney Crosby. Yeah. Oh, you got Gino and, Malkin. Like, yeah, I, I know, but I, I mean, if you're gonna bring a team, if you're gonna bring in a core, at least bring one that's that's one, right? Like, I mean, yeah, I, I get it. Like, I mean, I know it's like outside the box, but the Canucks have been going outside the box for a while, and like nothing, nothing's worked. Like, I mean, and that's what again, going back to Kuzmenko, a lot of people fears with this it's like well we're just doing the same thing over and over we're just we're just re-signing everybody and uh, i i i get it but i think you know we're doing something a little different here right now we've never had a, a coaching crew like this of a, a talk at foot and gonchar or half a gonchar uh a gaunch i guess um <laughs> but the, like we're not there yet it's still too early for me to 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 kind of really say where I feel about this organization, it's, I mean, disappointing right now is obviously, it's it's the first thing that comes to mind. I mean, this has been one of the lowest points. Uh, do you, do we dare say in Canucks history? I know I know I've seen some from some fans are saying this is the work, worst era in Canucks history, the worst year, and it's not. I mean, it, there's... It's it's a it is though a prolonged era. I mean, even in the '80s, you had the '82 final, and by the time you got around to like '89, there was a team on the upswing. That's a seven-year gap in between. This is a long period though, where this team hasn't been good. Is it the worst era? I still I'm I'm a little bit hesitant to say so, but every year that goes on with this, there, there's more ammo to be to be added to that fire. Look. Technically, the teams in the 70s and 80s were far worse than the team is now. But I think the difference between that era and the current era is expectation. And the expectation of the fans that they expect this team to be good. And they expect this team to be going for a Stanley Cup and being a perennial playoff team year after year. And the expectations since 2011 have been really high and for good reason. And this team has just continuously floundered time after time after time. 
And I think that's what the difference is between the two eras. So in a way, I would say this is almost the worst era because the expectations are so much higher and you we expect so much more from this team than what we would have back in the early 80s, late 70s. And it, so that's where I kind of will say there's a bit of a difference there. Uh, just going back to the talk it thing one more time, because again, I, I want to give the guy praise. The other thing I really liked is that he said he's really going to rely on the Sedins. And he's really kind of, you know, he's going to use them and utilize them. And the Sedins, that first practice, they were on the ice with Tockett and Mike Yo. And he also said that he's going to give Yo a lot more autonomy um, in what he does for the coach. But I like that. You know, I think Tockett's a guy, and I said this a lot. Um, and I'm sure you're going to make a bit of a joke here, but, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. You know, and I know Tockett said it. I know Patrick Elvine said it. Um, and I like that. Humility is is smart. You know what I mean? And I think Tockett, yeah, sure, he's got... 900 plus games, or I don't know if he played over a thousand games in his career. He was a Stanley Cup winner, a very solid, hard to play against player, but he doesn't have all the answers. And I like that. I like that he's got that humility right away. And he wants to use guys that he knows are better at certain situations for teaching and coaching than he is. And I think that's something that this team has really needed. And I think having the Sedins be more of a presence, I think is going to be a good thing as well. That's a good point. I mean, I mean, you think about having Sedins with those guys as well. That adds that uh, that skill element and and a different kind of toughness and a mental toughness as well. That you, I mean, you've got those guys there. Lean on them, right? Like, I mean, yeah. Bring bring in those guys. Let's let's see the Sedins on the ice uh, more. Since you were talking there as well, Doug, I just ran twenty five uh, draft simulations. And the Canucks won four of them. So hey, that's twelve. Wow. Uh, twelve. Uh, sorry, sixteen uh, percent chance, which is better than the seven and a half percent chance in uh, the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Which hey, I am still all in on. I am still definitely on Team Tank right now. But there, there's going to be man. I, I mean, this was an interesting week. It's going to be uh, really incredible and interesting to watch what is coming down the line for us here. We got we got the All Star break, and then after that, man, like I said, it, it, you got to move Bo. I think sooner rather than later, and start this process of selling what you can and getting ready for next season. And and two things as well, if if you're trading for prospects and picks that's ideal in this situation it solves two of the canucks organization's greatest weakness it doesn't solve but it helps which is the prospect pool and the salary cap so the way if they can figure out ways with all these moves to really squeeze the most that they can out of that uh i i think that would be a home run and uh down the rest of the way i'll still watch games but they don't win any and they're doing that and those kinds of moves i'm okay with that yeah, I mean, look, I don't want to get my hopes up, but I mean, if if there was any a possibility for this team to finally get the first overall pick and get a guy like Connor Bedard, who's a local kid, I think that would really hopefully change the course and the direction of this franchise and this this constant ten year rebuild on the fly comment that has been happening for two regimes now could actually be a thing that could come to fruition if you're able to get a guy like Connor Bedard. Um, you know, I know you say it all the time, Pete, I want this team to win, obviously, but, you know, part of me is like, look, man, I I, I would rather this team's, you know, this season part of me is a loss. I'd rather just try to get the best 
possible chance at the highest draft pick possible so we can start restocking the cupboard for the next three or four years. For um, sure. That's kind of my thought on it. Uh, it's it's it, There's no shortage of drama with this team. Uh, it's the best, arguably the best reality TV show going right now is the Vancouver Canucks. Is it ever? And, and I mean, that's why you trade guys earlier. Uh, I agree, man. I'll still watch and I'll still cheer when they score and such. But there's only five teams in the league worse than them. San Jose, Arizona, Chicago, Columbus, Anaheim. They've maybe got a shot at San Jose passing them, but it's going to be pretty tough to get down into the Arizona, Chicago, Columbus, Anaheim levels. So we're going to need a little bit of luck. Doug, yeah. uh, I think uh, we, we could go on about this for a while, but I think it's time to take this to the free pour. All right, it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I know I talked about this a couple of weeks back, but I want to talk about it again because I've, I mentioned it before, but I've really been getting into espresso. I've been doing my home espresso. I got the WDT little thing, pulling shots. And, you know, it's it's an art form, man. Like, I've I've been very inconsistent with the shots I've been pulling lately. But anyone who knows what WDT is, it's kind of like these little needles when you, after you've ground your espresso and you kind of shake it around and you break up all the clumps in your uh, your coffee, essentially, in the portafilter. I don't know if there's anything I find more enjoyable in the morning outside of drinking the actual coffee than doing that. I don't know what it is, man. I find it very therapeutic, very calming in the morning. I don't know any of you espresso heads or coffee holics that are out there that do your own espresso and you use the WDT tool, which is the little tool with the needles. But if you are, let me know if you find it as therapeutic as I do in the mornings. Doug, uh, I believe it's actually pronounced espresso. <laughs> uh, that sounds great, man. I love a good, uh, I love a good coffee. I'm all about my coffee routines in the morning. I know you and I are both French press guys as well. Um, my free pour today, I just wanted to go on a little bit of uh, uh, kind of a rant, I guess. You know, I, I've always loved travel, and uh, I've always been able to find deals and get out there. It is really hard in this post, well, I guess COVID is still going on, in this COVID era to find these deals and, and to find, even to go to these cheap countries that I used to go to and just to get there now, a lot of them, the airfares are like twice as much as what I used to pay. And even when you're on the ground there, hotels are more, everything's more. And uh, uh, for someone who loves travel as much as I do, it's, uh, it's it's getting pretty tricky to find deals. Normally I go away in January and I had every intent to do it this year. I pulled the plug on it. I just couldn't find a good ticket to somewhere I wanted to go. Uh, I'm hoping this all corrects itself eventually and changes because, man, like you know, I got friends around the world, and Doug, I know you're you're you've got connections around the world too, but man, it is hard to get out to them. Uh, so I'm really hoping that at some point this year we start to see a correction on airplane flight prices at the very least, and maybe some stuff on the ground as well, because damn, there's some places I want to get back to.
Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 135 at Season 4, Episode 16 is just about in the books. Thanks, as always, to Brendan. You can follow him at jbo underscore Vancouver for contributing, as he frequently does. And, uh, Doug, we've only got a few more weeks of NFL, so the outros are going to be uh, NFL heavy i think well at least this week and uh, probably the next one as well um but picks uh we got the championship games i don't think there's a lot of surprise about the teams that are left who are you picking i'm gonna go with the Bengals. i believe in the joe burrow hype he gets back-to-back super bowls and i also speaking of hype i'm going with the brock purdy hype i, I mean this kid mr irrelevant is anything but irre- irrelevant right now and uh I think that defense that the 49ers have and you add in C-Mac, I, I, I think they get it done against the Eagles. Damn, I'm uh, I'm actually the same. Neither one of us taking the number one seeds. Um, I do think uh, it's the era of the Bengals. Uh, and Mahomes banged up. I think they, they can take them this week. Uh, Eagles-Niners, that's a tough one, but uh, I, I do think the Niners just have too many weapons. Um, so... I am also going with the same two teams. Let's see if we're right. Put a couple bucks down on those games. Uh, folks, if you're not online following us and you want to, you can find us on Twitter and Spotify. On Twitter, I'm at Pete underscore gas. And on Spotify, you'll find our outro playlist, the Canuck Speakeasy outro playlist. Give that a follow. This jam will get added onto it as well. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at CanucksSpeak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.